needs to sit back. The doctor should look at it as soon as possible. It is the way in which we propagate our species. Well, howdy, partner, and welcome to Casual Trek, a Star Trek recap and ranking podcast brought to you by Nerd and Tie and Settler Colonialism. I'm rootin' tootin' Charlie Etheridge Nunn, a writer and a Deadwood fan. Pistol noise, pistol noise. And I'm Dead Eye Miles, Dead Die Dick Reed Lobato, science fiction writer, Westworld fan, and the wildest gunslinger in the West, sometimes known as the Jewish cowboy, which is weird because I'm not actually Jewish. Saddle up, because each episode we'll watch stories from three different Star Trek shows and rank them on a big list, from the best to the low-down worst. We both love Star Trek, and is far from our first fan of making us the ultimate objective voices on such a task, or I'll stake my my cowboy hat on such a claim charlie yeah i i i think we're we're too british for such nonsense we really are yeah yeah i can only apologize to america for what they've just heard so today you may have picked up on our theme uh, we're going to look at the times that this wagon train to the stars went fully Wild West, which is, I was going to say, surprisingly more often than you think, three times that I'm aware of, but that's enough to make an episode of Casual Trek. Yup. So, before we go on, Miles, what non-Star Trek thing have you been enjoying since we last spoke? Ooh, okay, what non-Star Trek thing have I been enjoying? Well, I guess kind of keeping in, in the theme, I recently picked up um, a computer game called Red Dead Redemption 2, Ooh. which is a which is a Wild West-themed game. The game has been a lot of fun. Admittedly, I haven't had much time to play any of the missions, so I've basically been going out and um, just hunting for my settlement because that's a, a nice way to kind of, you know, break off some time and not, you know, accidentally get into, you know, accidentally stab someone in a hotel, which I did do. In the game, not in your time working in a hotel in Brighton. Yes, I've actually never stabbed anyone in a hotel. Oh, you know, that surprises me. I, I have given someone a concussion at Starbucks, though. Okay. So, Charlie, you lone down, no good, dirty horn swaggler. What non-Star Trek thing have you been enjoying? partner well these past few months i've been running a role-playing game called ghosts of el paso which is about the vigilance committee a group who convenes for six months once every six years when the moon turns blood red like a wound in the sky and the vigilance committee watch over el paso as the dead rise and they've got to try and investigate any supernatural goings-on. There may be ghosts that they need to find a way to quieten and get rid of. There may be ghosts that they need to help seek justice. It really depends. And there are character classes such as a marshal who was a criminal until they fell in with the previous marshal. And when they died, 
now all this responsibility and laws up to them. Literal death, who's inhabiting the body of one of the vigilance committee and anyone she touches dies. So she's got to find out why she's been cursed into a mortal body. And the kid, which is someone who really wants to be famous and really wants to be a legend and has been given these two guns, damnation and salvation. And if if he shoots people with damnation, they will die instantly and be dragged to hell. And if he shoots them with salvation, they'll die immediately and be pulled up into heaven. And that sounds cool for a, a like legend in the making, but he can't ever turn down a challenge to a gunfight. And his mysterious benefactor, the Lady in Gold, seems to be pushing people his way, whether they want it or not. So it's a mystery game. Okay. There are about 10 or so pre-made mysteries, all building up through a season arc towards a big bad that you get bits of unlocked, kind of like a legacy board game. You unlock a special mystery if the kid ever says no to a duel, or if the marshal ever ticks one of their one of their masks of the future which sets a bounty hunter after them and things like that so it's got this beautiful structure to it and each mystery is one where i don't know the solution instead i give them the clues based on what they're doing and where they're doing it and they piece together the solution themselves Ah. i've got some slightly shyer players but every single one has taken the lead on answering a mystery and it's beautiful to see where you get that flash of inspiration of aha i know this is why the lady in white is doing this haunting or yes this is actually a guy who's pretending to be a ghost (laughs) and stuff like that so it's it's been really good fun we're at about the maybe two-thirds point of it now and things are going to go a bit wild well okay getting a you know, a kind of haunted city where the blood moon happens every night for six months of the year. Yeah. Hmm. That does sound fun. Yes. Right. So, Charlie, um, westerns. Yeah. Westerns, 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 westerns. Yeah. You got much time for a western? Um, I admit, like, the few I've seen tend to be kind of like the Italian spaghetti westerns, like Sergio Leone. Uh, um, yes. I keep meaning to say to watch films like High Noon mm. and like Rio Bravo and like The Searchers, but just, you know, you know, it's never really been my genre, mm. and, you know, for, for, ver- for like obvious reasons. Yeah, I admit, I don't know if this is the same for other english kids or anything but westerns were always more of an abstract kind of it might just be like a generational thing maybe because we didn't grow up in the time we grew up long after the time when westerns were like ubiquitous not even just like your spaghetti westerns like your your big like john wayne john ford all the johns yeah i mean i had well there was a lot of knights and stuff like that there was there were superheroes, of course, because, you know, just a little bit before I was born, I think, was the first Superman film. And you could feel bits of that and the imports for uh, Marvel UK kind of things. So Westerns weren't really a thing. Uh, my friend from the comic shop, Goth John, uh, much <laughs> like with horror films, 
said, okay, here are some, and gave me like high noon, good, bad, and the ugly, and so on. And you know, they're fine. Like sometimes you get a really good Western, you know, you get some things like Deadwood, which is a, a beautiful horror show. You know, it's got such eloquence in its obscenity and is so fascinating to watch. And not just because it's got Brad Dourif in it, but that definitely helped. But then, yeah, you get things like The Quick and the Dead, which is a favorite of mine, which is so Sam Raimi. It's so good and so very Sam Raimi in everything it does. But yeah, I guess for us, it's sci-fi westerns. It's, like, it's, def- it's, it's definitely, you know, westerns, which, you know, so, which science fiction, which is, which draws on very much Western iconography, Western tropes, like a lot of, a lot of pulp sci-fi does kind of did tend to draw from that pulp Western genre, like areas. I mean, like if you look at Han Solo, he's basically like a Northwest, like a, a gunfighter in space. You were trying not to say a space cowboy, right? I was actually trying not to say Northwest uh, Northwest Smith, like the pulp kind of space cowboy created by C.L. Moore, who we um we touched on briefly in in last week's episode. Did indeed. We did indeed. And you get things like Firefly, which you know is the the elephant in the room when you talk about the sci-fi westerns. And, yeah, you know, I Joss Whedon noted piece of shit. I and I. I I really enjoyed it when I first saw it and I watched it too many times. I like watched it on DVD because I, I didn't see it when it aired because I have no idea how it aired here. But I had it on DVD, watched it once through, watched it a second time, switching over to commentaries, watched it with my brother. And then we watched it with my dad and my stepmother. And that was all within a year of getting a DVD. And I've not looked at it since. Uh, because of that overexposure of it, I watched it like it the one time in very quick succession with a friend of mine before I um, went on holiday to the states for the first time. We watched Serenity. Mm-hmm. I've tried to rewatch it, but the series soured on me quickly, mm. and it was because the brown. Like when I say this, I'm a Hoovian. Mm-hmm. Brown coats might be. The most annoying fandom I've ever dealt with. And like I said, I am a Doctor Who fan who was a Doctor Who fan back when saying you like Doctor Who got you beaten up and teased in school. Mm-hmm. I realized a few, like a couple of years back, that Firefly unintentionally deals in that the South will rise again kind of yeah. reconstructionist fantasy. And also, um, everyone likes to tell me how much the show is about bastards in space. And I have to go, no, fuck off, watch Blake 7, <laughs> which is a show which generally has your heroes be bastards and criminals, and not just... It's like, you know, with the exception of Chain, like, who mm. is the closest character you have to being a bit of a bastard um, who kind of is okay most of the time... Like, Mal Reynolds is like Han Solo, in which he spends more of his time talking about how he's this tough, no-nonsense badass who won't ever stick his neck out for no one, but sticks his, his neck out for everyone, no well, matter what chance you have, what chance he gets. Yeah, they're all they're all just kind of adorable. 
Yeah. You know, in that same way that you get with quite a few shows by by Whedon in that respect, where you go kind of, yeah, like I can see why people glom onto them. And yeah, there are a lot of issues like the whole confederacy of it all and the use or kind of non-use of China. Mm. Which, yeah, I one day I'll revisit just to see how it's aged and someone that really really enjoyed it in a brief spell and then kind of even when i liked it i was like i've just seen it too much i can't go back it does have one of my favorite lines in all of science fiction um which is the line the good book has a lot has a lot to say on the subject of murder it says surprisingly little on the subject of kneecapping Mm. which is probably one one of my favorite lines of dialogue hands down um other shows which have done Wild West episodes, which I've really liked, is The Prisoner quite oh, famously yeah. did a, a Western episode, which apparently got banned in the US during broadcast because this was during the Vietnam War. And stations were worried having an episode of a TV show where a sheriff resigns his guns it could be seen as an anti-Vietnam statement. Yeah, God, it did a lot for a show with very few episodes. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, the set, I remember it being quite jarring going, oh, okay, this is a Western now. Um, why? And it's for prisoners, so the answer's shut up. Shut up, it's mind control. And I think that one actually is very similar in some ways to Spectre of the Gun that we're going to talk about later. Mm when there's a very much a, an inherent artificiality to what you're seeing. Yes. Um. Yeah. And then, of course, speaking of artificiality, there's uh, Red Dwarf with the Gunman of the Apocalypse. Oh, that's that's just a classic. It is a stone-cold classic. And, yeah, again, there are similarities to one of the episodes we'll be covering today. Um, so, yeah, but it's... Um, it's later on than I than I always remember with Red Dwarf. Going back and revisiting it, I want to say early this year or late last year uh, with Red Dwarf, I got up to all of the classic stuff, basically. And and yeah, it's it still holds up as a great fun one, even though amongst my friends it has been memed to death since it aired. <laughs> there's there's nothing wrong with that. Um, other sci-fi shows which of course um of course there's westworld which again with artificiality is a western themed amusement park with robots Mm. and it all goes um as we used to say in in our nanorimo group how we describe most plots it all goes horribly awry yeah in in both the film and tv versions yeah the tv the tv version i liked a lot of but also, you know, was had a lot of the issues of your mystery box kind of mm. thing and of uncertain future of the show and all of that, which, of course, happened as it was cancelled after... Four seasons with for tax reasons and then removed off HBO Max for tax reasons. Yep, that's yep. one. Um, I did like, I've only seen the first season. Mm-hmm. I love its use of music. Yeah. I love that a piano. I love there's like a plinkety plonkety like um, world's a cover of uh, painted black, which mm. they use in the first episode. And then later on they use House of the Rising Sun. 
there are some good bits in seasons two and three, which is as far as I've gone. Okay. But I think you've seen its peak, basically. Yeah, okay. Um, conceptually. So, yes. But, yeah, all of these are sci-fi westerns that are not Star Trek. So, let's crack on by talking about a little bit of Star Trek. And any of you vaguely familiar with Star Trek and hearing westerns probably know the first episode that we're going to cover tonight. And that is Star Trek The Next Generation Season 6, Episode 8, titled A Fistful of Datas. It aired on the 7th of November 1992. Teleplay by Robert Hewitt Wolf and Brannon Braga. Story by Robert Hewitt Wolf. And directed by Peace to You himself. The UK and US number one hit at this time was Boys Two Men with End of the Road, which I only vaguely remembered. Yeah. I listened to. I had on earlier today with Emma, and she was like, This feels really stalkery as a song. <laughs> I don't know. It was one of those things, boy band wise, where it, it I don't know. They just boy, never I'm, I, I'm really surprised that Boys to Men with a name like a band name like that haven't been taken over by like the manosphere and oh, incel culture. You can imagine that kind of being like their their band. Hmm? Boys to men. I mean they're not white, so no, oh, oh, that's true. That's true. All right. Anyway, um, on that on that note, um, yeah, I'll recap us as to what exactly a fistful of datas is about. Okay. All right. And as always, you have five minutes, and for those five minutes, I need you to draw, partner. So. The Enterprise is chilling by a planet called Dynanica 7, so it's time for some downtime. Picard can't get a moment's peace to practice for flute. He's interrupted by the likely lads who want to test running the ship through data, just in case the computer goes awry. Bev appears, wanting to enlist him for her theatre troupe as an extra, so that's a no instantly. And Worf wants to do anything but hang out with his son Alexander. Request denied, Worf. Tough luck. Alexander's thrilled, mainly as he didn't see that previous scene or know how much his dad wanted to get out of this. So he takes his dad to a holodeck program set in Deadwood in the ancient West. Worf's for sheriff and Alexander's his deputy. In engineering, the forge takes his time to plug data into the ship. Sure, that'll go fine. Uh, back on the holodeck, Worf's dubious about the program when he sees a saloon girl. Apparently, Barkley helped with this, so he should be afraid of what else is on here. They're here to apprehend Eli Hollander, who's in the saloon. Worf knocks him out, bang, one punch, and Alexander's really upset with this. He increases the difficulty and restarts the scenario. This time, people clear out when Wolf confronts Eli. There's a bar fight until Eli gets the drop on Wolf, and then Eli's hat's shot off by Troy, who's here, dressed as a mysterious stranger. Apparently, Alexander invited her, and she is really stoked to lop the hell out of this. Over on the Enterprise, there's a fluctuation in Data's neural net. Best think nothing of it. Back in jail, Wolf's still unsure what to do with Eli, who says his old man's going to come get him. Over on the ship, Picard is still trying to relax, and his music has taken over. At Crusher's rehearsal, Riker, who of course is getting involved in the Amdram stuff, his script 
gets turned to an ode to Spot. Back in the Western, Troy's demanded some money to help out Wolf and Alexander, so Alexander's sent out to collect a bunch of money from the bank and gets kidnapped on his way back by Eli's evil dad, who's Data? Weird. And the program isn't freezing now, which is also slightly worrying. Worf goes to the saloon looking for Alexander, and evil dad Data shows up, and Worf keeps thinking this is actual Data until until things escalate and he gets shot. He runs back to the sheriff's office, and Troy's unable to end the program, and apparently the safety's off. Evil dad Data wants his son back, and Eli, he also looks like Data now. Troy says, it's all right, we just need to play along. As soon as we hit the end for scenario, it will force an end for story. Holodeck will shut down. On the Enterprise, Data's brains apparently got into the library, the arts, the replicators, and so on. It's giving out cat food to anyone in the rep- using the replicators. It's all gone a bit bad. Nothing essential, really. For a couple of hours, unless you are on the holodeck with the safety off and Data's somehow inhabiting the villain's bodies. Also, Data's speaking like a cowboy, which is annoying, but no one really examines why or whether there are wider problems with that. Troy watches the Eli Data shuffling cards and realises, oh no, he's got all of Data's skills now. Evil Dad Data shows up to see his son and Worf agrees to trade son for son. Troy says he can't be trusted, and Worf, he is confused at that. What? That's dishonourable! Ancient West don't give no shits about honour. Tough luck, Worf. Worf and Troy get a plan, and the barmaid, who's besotted with Worf, helps out, giving him tools to make a personal force field from a comm badge. Worf does have to be um, reminded to thank her. It's time for the trade. Worf and Evil Dad Data both trade their boys, and as they cross, a third and fourth Evil Data pop up, hiding around with guns. There's a big gunfight. Oh no! Evil Dad Data hits the force field repeatedly until he runs out of bullets. Troy pulls on the others, and a Sombrero Data throws Evil Dad Data a gun, but it's too late. Worf shoots the gun away, looks over at Alexander, and realizes, shouldn't kill him. I'm going to banish the Datas from town, because that's going to work. The program doesn't end yet, not until the barmaid, who also looks like Data, gives Wolf an incredibly awkward hug, ending the program. And yeah, we close out with Wolf doing finger guns at himself in a quick draw in the mirror, which we've all done. <laughs> Seven seconds. Oh, okay. 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 All right. So, um, Charlie. Yo. Alexander Wolf's son writes yes. a holodeck program where the father of the bad guy cares more about his son than Worf ever clearly does. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, he gave him a role as a deputy. He obviously respects his son, which is more than Worf does. And yeah, it's it's impressive to see. And Worf really, like, this is classic Worf no-selling everything around him. Yeah, Right Worf... until it all goes to hell. <laughs> Wolf is very much clearly like if there was an RPG group, he would be the tank. He's yes. the guy who's only there for the fighting. Oh, and uh, Wolf gets to be the tough guy. Gets to actually be good at fighting. Oh yeah. Um, he doesn't get wolfed by anything. Like, sure, he gets shot by evil dad data, but you know that's going to happen at that point. So even though he's a bit dense, he manages to get a good bit of fighting in. Um, so that was nice. 
also it was good seeing Troy being the mysterious stranger role. <laughs> Troy clearly having fun. Oh my god, yeah. Even when things are dangerous, <laughs> there she's like, no, fuck it, I'm staying in character, and I love that for her. <laughs> I, I I love the part when um when when Wolf's this question, she's like, look. I really want to do this. Don't fucking ruin it for me. Oh, so mm. your son. But mostly this is for me. This is yeah. Troy's this, this is Troy's time. Damn straight. Yeah, that was a, a fun little twist. Like, as odd as it seems that uh Betazoid might know about ancient westerns. Well, that, you know, she she's half she's half human, remember? Yes. Like that's why she. That's why she's not full on like Luxander Troy because she has a human father. Yeah, and that means I guess what dabble into a bit of the heritage, which might go into yeah into the World West, the ancient West, the ancient, the West. ancient West. Yes, I do like that it. Ha- it is specifically <laughs> that just because it's even older than the old West at that point. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting seeing this as a, a Patrick Stewart directed episode as well it feels like all of the stuff with him just trying to chill out for a bit is is having some fun with that yeah Mm. apparently he he wanted to do this but also didn't really know about westerns so he ended up renting a couple of them a night for a little (laughs) bit until he could get the hang of them which feels so so nice and human, like that kind of oh my god, right? I've desperately got to do my homework. Like I, I don't know if he like would have gotten like an assistant, like a PA to get them, or or like, I just I'm just amused by dear Patrick Stewart just kind of walking in to like a blockbuster video in Hollywood and just like I must rent some westerns. <laughs> oh, that'd be so good. Um, I I like seeing more of the ship in downtime. Yes, I, I like the idea that just like it's oh, that there's just Amdram going on on all the spare time, like the amount of plays the Enterprise crew just one act plays the Enterprise crew just seems to be putting on in their spare time is amazing. Well, and I I get it's a conceit for show, but it's not the same one every time. Mm. It'd be interesting if you had that kind of like slight nod to continuity that they're gradually working their way through a, an Amtram like, so, tempest. So again, this is this is going back to all the people in Starfleet are clearly nerds. Yes. Who are all writing like just doing their like one act play in their in their spare time. So, yep, yep. You know, I, I am a science officer my in my main job, but um I just really want to dance. Well yeah, cause just because you're good at science or engineering or anything doesn't mean but you've not got some of that in you, you know? Um, I love whenever I find out a colleague has um, something artful they do, you know? Last weekend, I bumped into my colleague Zin Chu, who was um, exhibiting at an open house, and he paints, and getting to see his studio, and his artwork, and all of that, and it's it's always a nice thing when you, you scratch the surface of a colleague and go, oh, there's art there. And yeah, for something like this, where you've got some downtime while waiting for a supply ship to show up, have at it. We're not a nine to five kind of thing. Well, g- given how much like just free time they must, because we-, we just only ever see the exciting bits. Mm. So there must be just huge days when nothing, when they're just traveling and it's nothing is happening. Yeah. And, and find, you know, they, find fulfilling ways to do it. Like yeah. how many workshops on things, 
you know, get Keiko O'Brien doing a talk on botany or something. Oh, God. You, you, know? you know that that data has tried to form so many improv troops and it's failed every time because the only two people who will join, the only three people who will join to join data will be Geordia Fulton LaForge, yep. Wesley Crusher, yeah. and Riker. Oh god! Because you know, right? You know, you know, Riker's down. You know, you know, Riker is down to improv. Oh damn straight! I was going to ask: Do you think in joining the theatre troupe, he's there to, like, to pull or to get people to show up for his jazz recitals? <laughs> oh, definitely jazz recitals. He he's definitely investing in some uh, in some in some markers there. Yeah, if I if I did this for you guys, obviously you're going to come to my my jazz recital in Ted Forward, right? <laughs> right, 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 right. If it's bad, it's not me; it's Thomas Riker. <laughs> <laughs> so uh. yeah, it's um, it's fairly light, fun kind of thing. It it felt a little similar to the Gunman of the Apocalypse in that kind of VR situation where it's all gone a bit awry. Yeah, it. It doesn't help that like the the old west, the ancient west town, hmm. seems perpetually desolate. Yes, like and I that really is every time I saw it, I'm like that. Just this just makes it it makes it look cheap because it's clearly like yep, we can only afford to have like a few extras, hmm. and we at, at by the end it's just we can only afford to have um, Michael Dawn, the poor kid playing Alexander. Uh, Miranda Sirtis and Brent Spiner in all the outrageous costumes. We yep. can't afford just an extra, a couple of extras to just walk up and down and make this place look alive. There is a, a cheapness to it all, especially in the the kind of the final bit, the final leg of it, where it feels like they are definitely on a set. Now, that will only increase with the one we're covering next. But... Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know, maybe part of that is just, okay, Alexander wouldn't have thought to yeah. put extras in it as a kind of no prize sort of thing. But um, yeah, it's, um, I don't know, like for a Western, it's it's fine. It's obviously a Western that is designed by a child. Things like exiling the guys away. Um, yeah. You know, like if not for the safety settings being taken off, it would have been a cakewalk. You see, but... see, honestly, given how many times the um the safety settings break on a holodeck in Star Trek, I would never go in that thing. I would just <laughs> be writing. I'd be writing plays all the all the goddamn time. It's like, hey, Mars, you want to you want to go in a holodeck? Nope, things probably <laughs> haunted. I am writing a one act play. Yeah, yeah, I mean, maybe that's for Division, you know, you've got your people that are terrified of it, that are just going to go, no, like, I will build, I will paint a prop castle to do this play against, I don't need a hologram version that's lifelike, no, no, or anything it, like it's that. Like, it's like, you know how, like, McCoy is afraid of using the transporter? Mm -hmm. I'd be afraid of using the holodeck, for two reasons. Mm. One, every time you go in that thing, it seems to break and make something that tries to kill you or two i'll never be able to not i always have the suspicion that everyone thinks i'm using the whole deck for sex i mean that's got to be one of the like top reasons why the whole yeah. deck gets used um 
I mean, apparently, with this episode being a holodeck malfunction, they were like, well, it's been a few years since our last holodeck malfunction, so let's have let's have ourselves one as a as a treat. I can imagine like the Enterprise has signed one of those kind of this many days since last holodeck accident. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what's safer than the holodeck? Mm. Writing a play. Do you know what's also safer than the holodeck? Oh yeah. Assigning an episode of Star Trek to the big Star Trek list. Why, yes, Miles. Uh, such a list as the one we have here, where we currently have 81 episodes and films of Star Trek, going all the way from Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan at the top spot. Then we've got around halfway... We have The Stars at Night from Lower Decks, where Shax has his second best day. And finally, down at the bottom, we have Strange New Worlds' Lift Us, where suffering cannot reach, where we can't really be bothered solving this problem. But yes, so, Fistful of Datas, it was fine. You know, it again, it was nice seeing the, the next-gen folks on their day off. The Western bit of it's fairly basic, but, you know, it's not, not fun. Yeah. You know, let's it's... see, our, our halfwayest episode, I guess, here is, is Data Law, TNG-wise. Let's see. Um, I don't know. Mm. Like, it's... I'd put it probably under Data Law, because it's, it's more frivolous, and that's fine. You know, yeah. you can have a bit of a trifle. It's still, yeah, I don't know. People have fun, but it's not. See, I, I'm looking at the game, which is at number 52, which is, of course, um, the Enterprise gets hooked on um, Candy Crush. Yeah. Except for Wesley Crusher, who was just like, Candy Crush, I've got Baldur's Gate free to look at, mate. Of course he does. Honestly, that, no. I think he, I think... The game is more fun than the Fistful of Datas, if only because it's it's such a dumb premise, it almost becomes high art. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Again, like there are people that know the the image of the game despite not even seeing the episode. You know, if if people saw some of the shakiness of this, they would probably immediately have their minds cast back to the gunman of the apocalypse from Red Dwarf. Like all my kind of quibbles are really much production, which is the Western mm. stuff looks cheap because there's no people. And even in Red Dwarf, they had a bunch of actors, like in the in like the saloon, just kind of in the in the town itself. Yeah. Um. I see. I'm finding myself drifting down list wise. I was seeing Catspaw, which was. Very a, a very silly trifle, but which was uh, once number thirteen and now number fifty nine. It is yes, with Kitten Kong and with uh, a haunted castle in space. So you know that's that's great fun. Then of course number sixty, there is uh, your namesake Charlie X. Yeah, who was a little creep. He really was. Is this is this better or worse than Charlie X? Oh, like as a show, as an episode, it's probably better. Like again, Charlie X. I guess it's that thing of how iconic is Charlie X as a thing. Yeah, like probably not much. 
No, the, no. Definitely, it's 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 um it's it's six it's sixtieth the most iconic episode of Star Trek we've seen on yes. this show. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think I think it's probably better than Charlie X. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay, better or worse than Cat's Paw? Uh, I mean, like they get trained up in a basement with a really fake-looking skeleton in Cat's Paw. Oh, that's that's you know? true. Yeah, there's there's the dry ice and that brilliant the perspective shots of a cat, just a regular cat that's supposed to be a giant cat. Okay, all right, you've convinced me. These are very exacting reasons, you know. You can tell that we are the most Star Trek here when we use a yeah, yeah. A regular cat being played off as a giant cat as a, a reason for uh, why an episode is good. You know, you know what's going to happen one day? Mm. Charlie X will be the 69th episode on our list. Oh, he'd love that, wouldn't he? <laughs> nice. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. So Excellent. there we go. We have a brand new bouncing number 60, a bouncing fistful of datas. We do. For our second episode of the evening, we're going back in time. We're going to Star Trek, the original series, with season three, episode one, titled Spectre of the Gun. This aired on the 25th of October, 1968. It was written by Lee Cronin, a.k.a. Gene L. Kuhn, working under a pseudonym, and directed by Vincent McAviti. The UK number one was Mary Hopkin with Those Were the Days, and the US number one was Elvis Presley with Don't Be Cruel slash Hound Dog. Uh, there is a clear winner of which one is the better track here. Yes. Yeah. Those Were the Days. Were they, though? Well, no, but then they never are. No, I don't know. I just found it a bit, a bit meandering, and I don't know. It, the video I saw had an extreme close-up of her face for all of it, as well, which seemed a bit odd. But yeah, like I mean, I'm not a massive Elvis fan, but yeah, like these yeah. are classic tunes. All right. It's my turn, isn't it? It is. It is your turn. So, put together the shakiest set you can find. And, um, yeah, saddle up, as it's time to recap. Gun noise! Gun noise! Gun noise! Gun noise! Actually, that kind of works with um, the the cheapness of the of the show, of, of this episode. Right. Am I on? Yes. Well, shizer. Okay. The Enterprise is making contact with a reclusive species called the Makotians. Um, they find a spinny probe, which tells them to stay away in each of the characters' respective languages. Spock surmises that this race might be telepathic, which always means bad news. Spock, Kirk is like, sure, let's go down. Why not? We got a job to do. And Kirk, Spock, McCoy... Chekhov, Sulu's on break. Don't know where Sulu is. They all beam down to the planet, and they beam down into a misty wilderness, so probably Hull. And they meet the uh, an emissary of the Makotians, who has a giant freaking brain, like the brain from Planet Aros. And he goes, "Hey, you are trespassing. 
Now you die. And you will die in the nature of your primitive species. And suddenly, zoom in. Zoom out, cameraman. And they're in a... A Wild West town? If it was painted... If it was painted by Salvador Dali? Like, it's just, like, flat cardboard sets and a red sky. Oh, Christ, as if an earth must be going on in the background. Um, they get seen by the sheriff who... Who, I, who calls them all uh, Ike Clanton, Billy Clanton, Tom McCleary, Frank McCleary, and Billy Claiborne, um, and get antagonized by Virgil Wyatt and Virgil Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday. It turns out, oh no, they're in actual history. They're, in, they're at the gunfight at the OK Corral, which would make a really decent title for a film. Hmm. And they had a gun, and um, it turns out that Kirk and Co. They're the ones who are gonna die in this gunfight, except for Billy Clay Claiborne, who is being played by Chekhov. Stick yeah. a pin in that. They go to the saloon, and Chekhov immediately starts macking on the one woman there. Um, when when Spock and Kirk are like, dude, can you stop? Chekhov's like, no. This is what I'm. This is what I'm made for. This is my purpose. They try and escape the city. They think, hey, if we're not here for the gunfight, um, then the gunfight can't happen. So they try and leave the um they try and leave the stage they're on. And there's a force field. Oh no. It's one of those oh no, they're being railroaded back to the plot. Spot goes, hang on. We could make we can make gas bombs and we could knock them out. Let's work on that. So they start fetch questing to get the ingredients for the smoke grenade. Chekhov runs into Virgil Earp and is shot down dead. Chekhov's dead. Oh no. Wait a oh no. This this will definitely have far-reaching dramatic repercussions for the rest of Star Trek. Anyway, uh, Chekhov's dead. Kirk is really pissed off about that, but they don't want to antagonize because they realize that whatever's going on, they will die. Spock, who for some reason has... Um, like, this is, like, apparently his favorite period in history because he knows so much about Westerns. Perhaps Amanda, um, his mum, read in Western stories when he was a baby Vulcan. Or maybe Michael, Michael Burnham, oh, his, yeah. uh, his secret sister who we don't talk about because we very rarely cover Discover in the show, told him about really liked Westerns. Um, it, but it turns out in the actual history, Billy Claiborne, played by Chekhov, was actually the one survivor, so history can be changed. Kirk and Spock and everyone, as the um the gunfight gets closer, they realize, wait a second, what if all this is an illusion? What if the what if the bullets aren't real? What if the gunfighters aren't real? And McCoy goes, damn it, Spock! If I get shot, I'm gonna know I get shot! And Spock goes, what if we did the Vulcan mind meld? And so while the gun, while the, the bad guys are walking to kill our heroes, Spock mind melts of each of them. So, and then the, 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 the Earps and Doc Hall, they turn up and just pull out guns and just start like going all out like the John Woo film into our heroes and nothing happens. And they pull out more guns and just keep on loading and then pull out a third set of guns, which is funny because Doc Holliday has a shotgun. So he's got more shotguns in there. <laughs> than I do in most in most um in most games of Fallout, but no. Was that the timer? No, not yet. Oh, 
So yeah, the guns don't work. Kirk immediately leaps into his patented... That's for timer. No, that's for timer. That's for timer. Thumbs up, partner. All right. I will respond with my patented two-foot Kirk kick. Hiya! Oh, no. And continue. Kirk responds with his patented two-footed Kirk kick. Hiya! He beats Virgil up, up to the ground, pulls out his gun, and he's about to shoot him, but decides not to. And then, zoom in! Zoom out, cameraman! And it was all a dream. Oh my god. They're back on the Enterprise. Chekhov's alive. Um, I guess he was just dead for a while. Um, it turns out it was all an illusion. None of it was real. And the Makotians um, call up to the ship and go, Hey, so, you passed the test. Didn't expect that to happen. So, hey, um, you know the whole peaceful contact thing? Um, can we not talk about how we tried to kill you? Okay, come on down. First impressions, after all, don't count. Hmm. 54 seconds over, and Miles, have you ever crafted a weird, unconvincing papier mache head? <laughs> um, no. Ah. I've considered. I've considered it. I I was part of a youth puppet theatre group when I was about 13 or so, so I've crafted quite a few. Uh, okay. This one, this one was impressive. That that was an impressive, uh, freaky, like skull brain thing. Um, it kind of reminded me of the of. Have you ever seen Doom Lord from the eighties incarnation of the Eagle? No. He kind of looks like Doom Lord. Okay. Which you know, um, but yeah, um, I remember this when I was a kid. Like, I think I saw this when it was on in the 90s because I remember, like, the gunfight at the end. I remember the mind, I remember, like, them doing the mind meld and them doing the mind meld and cutting back to, like, the, 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 the bad guys walking slowly to the OK Corral, cut back to our heroes with the mind meld, and then they pull out all the guns, yes, start firing like it's Quentin Tarantino, and nothing happens. And that image has just been kind of stuck in my head since. The early 90s. Wow. That kind of, we're going to hypnotize you into believing the bullets aren't real because, you know, it is all an illusion, which. Yes. Chekhov, I don't know whether he'd feel embarrassed about his behavior there or whether he'd just shrug it off because, you know, this is Starfleet. People have made out with worse for no reason. Yeah, people, people have died and come back several times in the world of Star Trek. Yes. Yeah, he um, like, at least he felt like he was trying to get into the LARP of it compared to yeah. like Kirk initially was like the few times he tried to act at talking to people. He was extremely dry in his delivery. Uh, I know this is I think this is one of the first third season episodes that I've seen and you can already see that he's beginning to get a bit sweatier as a person. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's just for set or or if it's Shatner reaching gradually evolving to his final form. But um I, I I did love the set. Yeah, I mean like it it looked like it's it's cheap, 
Yeah. It's very clearly cheap, but this is definitely, unlike A Fistful of Datas, it's a cheapness that helps serve to make it just feel stranger. Yeah, it's got that final episode of The Prisoner kind of yeah. falseness to it, which makes some of their actions and reactions to it seem weird. You know, a little jarring and going, let's play that it's it's convincing, not this is obviously an illusion. They never bring it up. It's just kind of a... No. Yeah, and I gather it was a money thing that they couldn't afford an outdoor set at this point. So, yeah, they just did their best with what they could. So scripting probably reflects that it would have been a, a more convincing set normally. I guess, in a way, it'd feel... I don't know. It it probably feels a little better with them not referring to it as as a fake set so much. You know, I mean, like set wise, you've got this, and then the only way that you could go lower with it would be if it was like Dogville, you know, mm. and chalk outlines of the buildings at that point. See, I, I think you and I we're just of that generation where everything is this kind of meta. And that characters in TV shows seem to be aware that they're in a TV show and just comment on the cheapness and the artificiality of the of their environment surrounding them. Mm, so well, you know, you have to wonder if it's like you generally don't have very much have that kind of fourth wall breaking in a serious drama. You have that kind of fourth wall breaking like in comedies, in like the kind of you know stand like sitcoms of the time. I don't know. It's an interesting thing. And seeing the physical sets and physical props in a lot of the earlier tracks, it has been interesting realizing as time's gone on, as technology's gone on, I'm fine with it. Like I I didn't see most of the original series when it when I was a kid. Most of this I'm coming to for the first time, but just going yeah, this is obviously a soundstage, but guess what? I know this isn't a portal into the distant future. Like, yeah. My immersion isn't going to be from that. My my immersion is going to be from the performances and how well they sell it. I will say the guy who plays like the main villainous gunslinger, um, mm. who plays, I think, Wyatt Earp, that, that guy is proper creepy. Oh my God, so he, ominous. He's, he stalks around the stage... Like he's a phantom, like yes. he is literally a spectre. He like he has that like long kind of El Desperado moustache, which just kind of droops. He he just looks very intense, and well, also he's in, he's so gaunt. Mm, the reactions to him as well. That kind of okay, Kirk. Not only sit down in this in this saloon, but sit down with your hands away from your gun because he will take any excuse to yeah. fill you through of lead like like it was um it was well done that kind of yeah this is an ominous gaunt murder machine that's here um that was good fun to see um yeah it it was interesting having done some wild west role playing between ghost El paso and last year with deadlands it feeling like different levels of selling being in a Western or not mm. from them with Chekhov getting way too interested in, in getting off with one of the NPCs and, um, and yeah, that kind of, I've got an extremely pronounced plan 
with the gas, which felt like it took up for something that was quite easily, oh, yeah, it's not going to let us do this. It felt like it was a lot of effort for that results. Yeah. I, I, I kind of like Neo. I, I liked um, it. It's nice to see when Scotty gets to go down on the planet and do stuff. Because usually Scotty's like Scotty's usually up on the ship. Like either he's in engineering going, the engines, they cannot take no more. Or he's commanding the ship while Kirk, Spock and McCoy are basically like punching, a, punching an empire to death. Yeah. Although his hair looked odd. Here. His hair looked weird. He has a kind of a, He's like, he's got this weird, like, backwards comb job. Yeah, I think he, he'd been told to to kind of style it like that. And he just looks shocked a lot of the time. Yeah. And not just because he does a lot of drinking. He does a lot this. of drinking. Oh, my God. A very... <laughs> <laughs> so much. And, yeah, it's like, well, yeah, can't fault him on that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And Bones talking oh. to Kirk about... You know, may want to drink some of this whiskey for, like, for your injuries and that. And trying to make it sound like he doesn't do that all the time anyway. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. Okay, so I'm actually, I'm actually looking up, Um, I'm looking at the film Gunfight to the OK Corral from 1957, mm-hmm. which has um, DeForest Kelly playing Morgan Up. Oh my god, that's brilliant. Um. Yeah, it was kind of weird because, like, you know, I know the names of, like, Doc Holliday yeah. and, and yep, because they're in Doctor Who. So it was, ki- it was kind of weird, especially given how Hollywood morality worked at the time, that they have our heroes be the, playing the role of the outlaws in the story. Yeah. Because I, I'm not sure how much the Hayes Code you, – you know about the Hayes Code, right? Oh, God, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Like, for some of our listeners who don't know, the Hayes Code – uh, was a series of morality guidelines for Hollywood films um, during from like the thirties through to the through to the sixties, and one of those like look one of those kind of codes for filmmaking, like they're very strict censorship, which was you the good guys are good guys, the villains are villains, and the villains must always be seen getting their comeuppance. And so when people talk about um, all this work moralizing in cinema today, just remember, it's a lot worse. Shut up. But no, that's kind of funny work because you'd think like in this kind of story scenario, you would have our heroes be like Doc Holliday, Wyatt Earp, and, and like the, they would be the marshals. Yeah. the gang. I get Whereas the weird, this- like telepathic thing, which, you know, the kind of telepathic probe looked very Rainbow Road kind of. Uh, style for it went you're the villains who are gonna die in this now let's see what you do especially since you you essentially have police brutality from the mm. ups just trying to antagonize these guys into a gunfight and again in like in that seems very revolutionary for 1960s and like 1960s television Definitely. where you have a show which is going the lawmakers are being portrayed as the bad guys here and our heroes need to find a peaceful solution to survive. Yeah, it'd be interesting to find out whether or not they got in any kind of hmm. in any fights or any issues, or had to go. No, no, these are psychic projections. Charlie, let's be honest. This is Star Trek in its first broadcast. 
yeah. in its final season, no one was giving a shit. True, true. Oh, dear. So, um, yeah, with all that, where do we put the spectre of the gun? Oh, um, I don't know. Like, this is a tough one, because, like, I, I, I enjoyed it, but mm. it's not... Like, with the exception of, like, that one strong image, which I've carried with my, like, me in my life, I don't know if I'm ever going to go, hey, you know what? Hey, you know what? You know, it's going to be a good time for Star Trek. That's a real one when they can't afford walls or backdrops. Yeah. <laughs> and we get we get to see, we get to see Chekhov's makeout face far too much. Oh, my. Like, yes. you know, it's like, hey, do they ever want to see Bessa from Babylon 5 just Mac lips with someone? No. Wow. Okay. Oh, at, at least was it Shatner this time? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That felt quite good. The it, the yeah, the kind of alien psychic projection love interest was Chekhov's deal, rather than Kirk, who was busy no selling a lot of this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at fifty six, we've got what are little girls made of, which had some. It was kind of. It was a fun little away team thing but had some wonderful caves and a weird like kind of cloning machine well cloning robot machine uh which yeah i don't know that's probably better than this okay all right um like, i'm rocking at like a dildo yeah i'm looking at 68 mm -hmm. which is justice where wesley oh. ruins a, a visit to planet fuck Mm-hmm. Which, you know, Chekhov is clearly trying to, you know, Chekhov is really gonna trying to get his planet fuck on oh, God. in this episode. So and at that point we're beneath fistful of datas for this, which yeah, probably fine. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's that problem of justice is one I would revisit despite it not being necessarily good. Yeah, I, I would, I, I would watch it for the running, just so I can go. There we go. Had my workout. Hey, yeah, okay, and yeah, watch Wesley uh, it, nearly it, get it, executed. It's it's like yeah. See, look, this episode's not that not that bad. Like they're all clearly doing a nice little lovely bit of cardio. Yeah. Mm. Um. Okay. Okay. So, is this better or worse? Oh man. Is this better or worse than um, Home, the Enterprise episode where the where everyone is racist now? God, I think I think this is better than Home. Like Home's obviously got the better effects; it's allowed to go to an external set when Archer goes rock climbing. But also, yeah, it's like Home has. It feels like it's dealing with the aftermath of its war on terror season in any yeah. case. And unfortunately, quite a bit of that feels fairly off-putting. You know, the, the stuff on um, Vulcan's good, but frankly, it's fractionally better than the sets that we get here. Um, and this at least has, you know, the, the, the abstractness yeah. of being on their planet hell kind of soundstage and the frontage of several see, different see, Wild West buildings. See, I, I'm thinking that if, if Wes Anderson made a Star Trek film, 
mm. it would be a remake of Spectre of the Gun. I I would like to see that actually. So, so would I actually. Mm. Wow. I think I probably prefer this to Home. You know, it's got yeah. some charm where Home is. I'd say it's at fifty percent charm. You know, Home, home is trying to be like a serious drama, whereas yeah. this is we're doing a what we're doing a western. Sure, do we yeah. have a mighty western? No, sure, we can work with this. Why not? Okay, so that would put this at the new sixty nine on the list. Um, good, yeah, very good. So um, almost. Almost nice. Almost. Almost. Okay. <laughs> and that's why we'll never talk about the Legion of Superheroes on the show again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, sadly, we can't talk about the Legion of Superheroes. So instead, I'm going to talk about our third episode of the night, which is Enterprise. Season 3, Episode 9, titled North Star. This aired on the 12th of November 2003. It was written by David A. Goodman and directed by David Strayton. Uh, the UK number one hit was Fat Man Scoop with Be Faithful. And the US one was Beyonce featuring Sean Paul with Baby Boy. I didn't remember who Fat Man Scoop was until I started seeing the video. And I don't care for it. It's not great. I, I may we may have found a song that made me go, hmm. That Ed Sheeran's okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Like Beyonce wasn't great. Um. Like she's not hit peak Beyonce yet. In no. in this, and Sean Paul for some reason just seemed to be everywhere at the time. Um. So yeah, which doesn't help uh one thing before i get into recap miles what the fuck with the theme tune i i i don't like it no no i didn't care for it before but apparently their attempt to fix it has made it even worse by making it terribly jaunty like and this is this is the dark this is the post 9-11 season as well yeah like this is the we're going to be morally conflicted now because nine, space nine eleven happened. Madness! I and I, I I I miss I miss the original theme tune. I I would never have expected to say it, but yes, I miss the original theme tune compared to what we hear here. Terrible. Anyway, but on that note, <laughs> this is not a Star Trek theme tune discussion podcast. But we might need to do one of those at some point. Maybe at a ranking point. of the theme tunes. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Charlie, quick question. How how obsessive-compulsive are you? I mean, not medically so, but I've got spreadsheets for a lot of uh, things okay. in my life. All right. Okay. Um, speaking of tallies to your spreadsheets, we're going to yeah. see how far you go over your five minutes this time. Yeah. Right. Okay, partner. It's time it's to follow high... that North Star. It's time to follow that North Star. Like Don Quixote. And lean. Oh. So, um, yeah, we're in a Wild West town. as some kind of lynch mobs running down a guy. Is this the right show? 
opening credits seem to say so, even though, my God, those opening credits, somehow they made it worse. Um, anyway, we're still in the Wild West, and a Sheriff McCready is talking to a woman called Bethany, giving his regrets about the dead guy. Not that he'd have stopped it, but he'd have had a court determine that they should lynch um, someone called a Skag. And who's this mysterious cowboy watching everything going on? It's Captain Archer! He's here, and dressed in period-appropriate attire, as are Topol and Trip. Uh, Topol says these are humans. These are definitely actual humans. There's about 6,000 of them clustered together in small communities. And their oldest structure is only 250 years old. Trip and Topol ask around about getting a replacement horse so they can ride out and check out some of the things further afield. They're met with a bit of suspicion, but Trip trades away a harmonica and a loan of his gun to borrow a horse, and is to be is told, better be careful about those skags out there. Archer hangs out in a saloon chatting with a bartender, who's apparently a direct descendant of Cooper Smith, the man who overthrew the skags. His waiter is a skag, though, and gets bullied by the lynch mob from last night, one of whom is the town's deputy, Deputy Bennings. Tensions rise until the sheriff pops up to stop things, for now. Archer heads off to the school and talks to, Bo- uh, to Bethany about the Skagarans. She wants to know why he helped out at the saloon, and he says he believes humans and Skags are equals. He wants to know about their ways, and she shows them an out-of-town t- school as teaching a Skag is actually an illegal act here. Trip and Topol are sneaking around there and get found by Archer. And they report they've found some old files that need decoding, so they're sent away. Archer, on the other hand, finds out from the local kids that the Skagaran ancestors apparently abducted humans as cheap labour and that humans, as they want to do, rebelled against them. Bennings pops up, having followed Archer, and everyone scatters, but Bennings arrests Bethany and Archer. And in jail, Bethany gives a bit more of a history lesson, saying, yes, humans were slaves, but the history lessons don't really go into the fact that Cooper Smith was a butcher, murdering innocent and guilty skag alike. Archer meets up with the sheriff, and we hear booze is illegal around these parts. You know, no wonder they're angry all the time. Uh, the sheriff doesn't want the Skagarans learning about their past for fear that they'll replicate it at some point, and he, he just wants Archer out of town. He will be sentencing Bethany to at least 10 years in prison because she is Skagaran after all, or quarter Skagaran. In jail, Archer decks Bennings and releases Bethany. They try to escape and Bennings shoots Bethany in a slow-mo kind of escape sequence thing. Archer decides to beam away with her in front of everyone. Up on the Enterprise, it's easy enough to remove the bullet. And um, back down on... At North Star, they, well, Bennings says that Archer must be collaborating with Skagarans, hence the weird technology. This is a great excuse to murder everyone. And the sheriff's not up for this, so Bennings quits to make all the genociding easier. Archer decides, right, time to reveal the truth for locals. And after they deal with the Zindi, they'll come back and deal with the repercussions for revealing the truth for locals. Uh, they land a shuttle in the middle of the street, shocking everyone, especially an unfortunate horse. Archer to Paul Reed and a couple of weird army-looking folks pop out. Archer has words for the sheriff, who is receptive to the details, luckily. And Archer mentions that Earth's moved past intolerance, so maybe cool it with that for a while. 
The sheriff announces to the public he won't harm anyone and is immediately shot by Bennings. There's a standoff until Reed shoots a gunman out of a window. Time for a gunfight! Archer shoots the floor out from under a guy. Someone else holds to pull hostage, so Reed stuns her and then the guy holding her hostage. Archer and Bennings have a fight for a stable, which even goes underneath a horse at one point until Archer gets the drop on him. With all that done, Archer introduces Bethany to space. She says, oh, she must think of her people as barbaric. And yes, yes, he does. It'll be a while before ships come back for the humans, and MacReady's already changing laws. So we end with Bethany having been given a pad, teaching Earth history to kids, and also to MacReady, who could probably do with some some teaching as well. And that's it. Oh! Oh, you did it! Oh my god. You did it in the five minutes. Yes! <sighs> Whoa! Yeah, that, so... I... Charlie, yeah. was this a, was this another good episode of Enterprise? I think it was. I think it was. There were a couple of times early on where I thought I wasn't sure whether they were doing something jarringly stylistic or if it was just a brief camera moment where it felt weirdly washed out. Yeah, I, no, I noticed but... that as well. I this was a year before Deadwood, so I, I mm. at first I kind of thought this was like a a Deadwood thing, but no, they're just really trying to. Like actually doing with tricks with um with the camera with, with the camera to just to really sell it. This is an alien planet. Yeah, I mean, I I saw that they really wanted to make sure this wasn't treated the same way that Fistful of Data's was. No, you know, um, basically being the more the unforgiven style of Western. So that suits that kind of paler. Would would definitely in that kind of like you know you can kind of compare. Like the very, everyone's wearing clean suits in Spectre of the Gun mm. to your very kind of 1950s, 60s Westerns. So like your early 2000s, where I think most Westerns that we were getting were very much the revisionist Westerns. Yeah. Which the Westerns going, yeah, all these, all these kind of great heroes that we idolized of this era were thieves and, were thieves and murderers just killing the people and taken their land yeah it's interesting seeing no easy analog here no because the people that are currently oppressed were the people that were keeping slaves and it's it's not trying to be a one-for-one version of anything in earth history so much you know you've got these abducted humans that rose up and rebelled and now they've become this very kind of tight-knit very hateful little group or at least mostly hateful group against the people that were kind of of ancestry with the Skagarans because I don't know if we necessarily even see a, a kind of full Skagaran so much as people that are part human and part them because you get like weird crusty bits yeah on some of them in different spots so I'm assuming all of the ones we've seen now are hybrids as well, which also oh. complicates matters. I, I, I'm surprised that, you know, like they made a big deal, like, Flox made a big deal of Bethany being quarter Skagaran, and I thought that was going to come up to you like a plot point, like, you know, Same. look... What? Same. Yeah. So, okay. Although, I just want to say, the more, you, were, the more you, you, do, you were saying the word Skag in your recap, the more and more Skag just became like... It's clearly... No one thought, man, 
What if the British had? What if the British just say the word "skag" all the time and just kind of sounds stupid? Because all I can imagine was just like this Grant Mitchell type with like an East Enders accent going, "Shut it, you skag." <laughs> well, yeah, or, or a drugs reference there, you know? Oh yeah, yeah. It's the the difficult thing is in doing a, a recap, trying to keep it to a tight five. Skagaran sounds terrible. Yeah, you know, as a as a species name. So yeah, calling them skags, while it skags. is possibly an insult, shortening it to that, it's easier to say than skigar. Mm. Oh, definitely. I think I spelt both several different ways in my in my script as well. Yeah, it's definitely interesting seeing, as you say, with the differences from Spectre of a Gun, where it's just cowboy v. cowboy. Was this any reason? Well, one's law, one's not. That's it. Let's, let's not look into this. And where you've got even in um, Fistful of Datas, kind of, yeah, you get these bandits coming into town, doing some murders, and Law trying to keep keep that going anywhere, to here where no one's good. Really. No no one's good. Like, the, the people who are upholding the law are the ones who are doing uh, the lynching and the killing and turning a blind eye to it. Yeah, well, as much as McCready is trying to be reasonable, he's let this shit go on. Yeah. Without any of this going like any changes happening he would have just been complicit in it oh and he's Aaron from 24 as well oh. which, the the kind of security guard that was just always there in the background somewhere gotcha it, it, with you're saying with McCready just turning a blind eye it's, it's almost as if um a good police officer who just stands by and lets corruption happen is just as complicit um, as, as the corrupt police officers themselves. Yes, yes, I would say it is exactly like that. And interesting when you see that depicted in the popular culture in an era where you wouldn't have expected it. Especially like when we're immediately post, we're like, we are post 9-11, we're in that very much 24-style um, torture is cool because it gives us the answers we want. That kind of, we can do whatever we want, we're America. Well, yeah, it's where this is my first time seeing the Makos, the kind of military force. Yeah. And that felt jarring as well. Going, oh, you've got some army men running around in camo, like in Starfleet <laughs> camo with guns, which I don't know if they just straight up murdered some people. Um, I don't know. No, I don't know. Like, we don't specify. I'm, I'm assuming, I hope they're all set to stun. Hopefully. Um, I love the part where um, when Meriwether, not Meriwether, God, um, Reed, the British guy, mm. um, does the one thing I'm surprised no one has ever, I don't know if anyone's ever done it in Star Trek yet, which is you have a guy at gunpoint and he's like, I'm just going to stun, stun, I'm gonna stun, your, stun the hostage. <laughs> then while you're looking shocked, I'm just going to shoot you. I loved his little apologetic look. <laughs> yeah, that was a uh, beautiful moment. Just like, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Do you, do you know what I didn't expect? Mm. Archer's arm to basically explode when he gets shot. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, that looked like, a lot worse. That looked it? like a. That's getting edited out on Channel Four. Yeah. Yes, that was. Yeah, rough. Um, but yeah, like seeing Archer kind of infiltrating a saloon and asking kind of half half-confused questions to try and figure out the spaces in did give me some quantum leap flashbacks. Oh, yeah, well. like this, I, I think this is, 
the nicest we've seen Archer mm. in all our rewatching. Because at no point is he being a dick to Vulcans. At no point is he being like more conflicted by his moral uncertainty, like in home. He he is in like he is he's basically coming into town and sorting out a racism. Yeah. Like in Quantum Leap. Yes. Yeah, he's doing a good job with this. It was weird seeing Bethany, who was... I recognised her and looked her up, and it's like, oh, God, yes, she was a recurring character in Gilmore Girls, who was a real piece of shit, and was probably around the same time that this aired as well, uh, which, yeah, was jarring to go, oh, yeah, she was playing a kid who was just an arsehole. In in a school in a theme drama compared to this, where yeah, she's a teacher and yeah, trying to do secret teaching yeah. lessons to the scag kids about what they about their history, and you know, not in a oh yes, and we should replicate this kind of way, despite Macready's uh, fears. It, it you know, it, it's a we need to learn properly about the past so we can so we can avoid it yeah it's almost like that kind of thing's good to do if you've got any yeah. elements in your history or any colonial problems or anything you know? it's almost as if you had to talk about like you know the the bat like it's almost as if you know if there are bad parts in your cultural heritage you have to kind of talk about them and own them and you Not know put your fingers in your ears and make noise yeah and, and just go we we can't have been bad we fought the second world war Hmm. <laughs> Matt, oh God. You know someone we complained at this episode was woke. That's good. Good. Well, yeah, fuck that person. Yeah, yeah, this is this is this, very I feel very rarely does Star Trek ever kind of go A cab, but I feel where it kind of goes A cab. It did, yeah, yeah, and good for it. Yeah. And yeah, I think you're shockingly right. This was a good enterprise. Like this, you know, I I, I've not seen. I think I've not seen much of like the Zindi arc. No, I tried start. I when I when it was on ent- like on Netflix. I think I tried starting from season three onwards because I, and then kind of just dropped off. So yeah, like if I hope more of what we get is like this, but I I get the feeling it might not be. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yes. Yeah, so look at our list at the moment. Number 36 is our highest rated Enterprise episode with Carbon Creek. Wow, um, and that, that was also a very good episode. It was. It's interesting seeing these good episodes have been ones that have taken them out of their normal zone. Yeah. And I'm hoping we'll see some which are, you know, again, just like the way um, Fistful of Datas was. Oh, we've got some downtime. We're farting around the ship. But in a good way, with uh, with Enterprise one day, hopefully. Okay, so is this better or worse than Carbon Creek? Oh, I mean, both kind of do some similar things. There's, there's mm. definitely some strangely comparable elements. I think this one's definitely more action-packed. Yeah. That, the intolerance is a lot more kind of baked into Cold War paranoia. And, you know, I, th- I think this one might win out slightly because you've got more than just T'Pol as a character. Yeah. Although T'Pol doesn't really do much. Yeah, she and Tripp are just kind of there. 
So I guess it's a lot more of an archer showcase. Yeah. Which hey, nothing wrong with that. Scott no? Backler is a uh, Scott Backler is like one of the more charming actors. Definitely, and his he does a great job here trying to blend in with the Wild West people, ingratiating himself to the Skigarans. And, um, and yeah, the, the gunfight is, I think, the most fun gunfight out of all of them. Hmm. Uh, I mean, like, tonight. generally a lot of Star Trek kind of fights just kind of feel like, um, you ever played Time Crisis? No. You ever played one of those arcade shooters mm-hmm. where, you know, you had to duck and cut, you have to duck, cover yeah thing like time, time, bed, that kind of thing yeah like a lot of star trek fights especially in this kind of era always just feel like okay you stand over there you stand over there you shoot at each other and then duck every so often so it's really nice to kind of see a, a battle where there are le- like there are levels there are elements of play you've got the people up top you got you got archer shooting out the floor from under them with his phaser mm. Which was a nice little bit. That was cool. Archer's arm just explode, just almost exploding. He's oh my he's God. not walking down off that Flox is good. That's you know how good Flox is. Yeah. Yeah. Um God, I think I think just for the fun fact of this might be a bit better than Carbon Creek. Yep. Alright. Okay. Um are we gonna get a let's see, are we gonna get a an Enterprise episode in the top 30. <laughs> well, our 30 there is magic to make the sanest man go mad, which in Discovery, which is a real fun one. Yeah, you know, this, um, isn't a, this isn't a, a short, this isn't a, a list with a lot of bad in it. You know, you've got to get right down to the bottom for, for, for real bad ones. But I don't know. I think we've got two Discoveries next to each other in 30 and 31 magic to make the sanest man go mad is a really fun one with the mechanics for what it does i think at the same time this is probably better than the vulcan hello yeah it's not discovery does not have the most strongest of openings no no it's a shame because revisiting it occasionally here has made me remember there is still some there's still some good in it and some uh, some interesting one-off episodes as well, but it's not just what I I mentally assume it is of, you know, season-long arcs and a lot mm. of overly earnest pondering. So, you know, um, I... Yeah, I think the Time Loop episode is probably better, so, okay, you know what? Mm-hmm. We don't get an Enterprise episode into the top 30, but 31 is still damn good innings for a show, which I feel has been, out of the non-animated shows we've been covering um, on the podcast, Discovery is the one that's been really trying struggling to catch up. Yes. Like, hell, we've got... Okay, hell, we have two Vix in the number 27 slot, so... Um, <laughs> I... I hold up that that is. Oh no, two Vix is still two Vix is still a great hour of television. Yes, and then that one is immediately followed up by um by Meld with oh, your yes. with your with your moist fave Brad Dourif. Oh my god, yeah, who also plays Doc Holiday in Deadwood? Does he in Dead? Okay, so good. No, sorry, Doc Cochran. Never mind, Doc okay. Holiday. God, getting my docs mixed up. But yeah, he is. 
so, so good in Deadwood and in a nice role. Not wow. a Robocom role like you want, but um, he is a good person in Deadwood. Man. And it's is shocking he, to see. Is he still incredibly sweaty? He is. He is very sweaty. I mean, it's it's the ancient West. Everyone's oh, sweaty there. <laughs> okay, you know what? That is good for me. Yes. So that means we are now at 84 episodes on our list. We are still on our road to 100 when we will do Threshold. Threshold. Yes. Um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. It's, it's, it's amazing how many we've gone through, we've actually covered so far. Yes. Yeah. It's It's been interesting piecing together some of these shows like Enterprise in the original series where I've not where I've seen barely any of them. Mm. And seeing them out of order, but based on a theme, has been an interesting way of tackling them. Yes. Um, so, that's it for us for today. And you can check us out on Blue Sky under um, Casual Trek, I believe, is our profile there. <laughs> so, there's that. There is the Nerd and Tie site and the Nerd and Tie forums. Um, as far as myself, you can find me at Faked Tales, where I talk about indie RPGs, comics, and other such things, and skyshark.itch.io for my comics and RPG supplements. And uh, what about you, Miles? And I can be found at mareadlobato.wordpress.com for my blog, um, which has currently got as of time of writing i've recently been reviewing the uh the free 60th anniversary doctor who specials and all great fun and yeah you can find me on blue sky i believe at miles read the button also you have to check out our ko-fi page at ko-fi.com forward slash casual track chuck us some uh some doubloons and we will we will make an episode based around a theme of your choosing. Or if you just want to torture us, just just chuck, chuck us some doubloons. Just just give us some money. Yes. Yeah, please. We don't ask for much. Just money. <laughs> just money. <laughs> yes. And, and next episode, we'll see you in the past. Or will it be in the future as we decide to talk about wibbly-wobbly, timey-what? Charlie... I, I did the thing. Said, I said, said wib- I, I said wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Oh my god! <sighs> okay, I you're fine. a real Doctor Who fan. I thought they tired of that years ago. Okay, fine. We're we're gonna travel through. We're gonna indulge in some time travel. Hopefully, it won't jeopardize the Blinovich limitation effect. And we'll see you in the past, or maybe the future. Mm. But no matter where we see you, be it in the old west or today, the present day, always remember. Do a Starfleet. And eat a jelly baby. Maybe made of jerky. I don't know. I can't remember what they liked in the Wild West. The, the jerky. They like they uh, like yeah. things made they like sticks made of meat. Uh eat a jerky baby. Actually, no, that sounds even worse. That that sounds like whatever ch- Elon Musk's latest child. Uh, or remember the British royal family. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Eat the rich. <laughs> Do a Starfleet. Eat the rich. You've been listening to Casual Trek by Charlie Etheridge Nunn and Miles Reed Lobato. 
Music by Alfred Etheridge Nunn. Casual Tracks, part of the Nerd and Tie Network. And if you want to support us monetarily, because you love what we do that much, you can now do that by going to Coffee and looking up Casual Track. There's a link in the show notes.